You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications. And joining us this week are Ethan Lane and J.J. Goikachia, who are fresh off a hearing on Capitol Hill where they testified today before the U.S. Senate's Committee on Energy and Natural Resources, uh, the Subcommittee on Public Lands, Forests, and Mining. They had a hearing on the wild horse problem. Um, J.J. and Ethan, thanks a lot for joining me. Great to be here. Thank you, Ed. All right, now you guys have, uh, you, are, you are men of many titles. Um, Ethan, today you are testifying on behalf of PLC, NCBA, and the National Horse and Borough Rangeland Management Coalition. JJ, you're a Nevada rancher, of course. Um, are you still the state vet of Nevada? I am still the state vet of Nevada, but uh, today my testimony was based up uh, on being a rancher and as a Eureka County Commissioner in Eureka County, Nevada. All right, very good. Now, um, the hearing just wrapped up. Um, Ethan, the the headline that we put out on the news release from your testimony said that the current system for wild managing wild horses and burrows out west has been quote crippled to the point of catastrophic failure. Uh, why is that? For folks who may not be from out west and not not as familiar with this issue, um, how has it turned into such a catastrophic failure? Well, you know the the the, the course of population growth. If you look at the history of, of on range horse and burrow populations, follows poor congressional action on this issue. You know they create the wild horse and burrow, uh, right? Wild and free roaming horse and burrow act in 1971. Uh, then you have this management period that leads up to 2004, where there is a number of horses that is pretty close to to AML. AML is 26,000 appropriate management level. Um, in 2005, we had about, I think, uh, 31,000 and change on the range. We would take that number today as a, as a significant victory. So in 2005, Congress puts a rider in place in the appropriations bill that prevents the BLM from selling horses uh, without restriction or uh, processing for commercial purposes. Since that time, the population has gone from 31,000 to the 88,000 we have on range today, plus 50,000 in, in off-range holding, and uh, the program is bleeding money, and the BLM is, is functionally unable to do anything, uh, given the current situation, to, to really bring the population under control, which is why we have engaged in this proposal process with some of these groups that, quite frankly, uh, you know, are, are, are bad actors. I mean, they're groups that are trying to put the cattle industry out of business, and, and yet we've sat down with them because they are, uh, they are the, the, the only game in town to, to try to address this with Congress. So groups like HSUS, the you know, ASPCA, um, you know, these are not groups our members trust. And, and so we've, we've had to work really hard to build, uh, you know, a dialogue there that, that we can rely on. This hearing today, in, in some, you know, to some degree, was an effort to communicate where we agree, where we still disagree, and what kind of recommendations we can, we can convey to Congress to try to get this population under control. Right. It was interesting, and it, it was sort of a split screen. You guys just got back. You didn't see what was going on in the House. The House has been on the floor. It's been a mess with they're debating you know, what words can be used to describe the president's tweets. They're really getting the, the job done for the American people today. Um, unlike them, you guys were actually engaged in um, serious discourse about a serious problem um, that needs to be addressed. And, J.J., you were there as a Nevada rancher, and uh, uh, one of your senators, um, Senator Cortez Mastro, uh, 
was on the committee and you engaged in a conversation with her and you guys sort of talked a little bit about the unique nature of Nevada and I've been to your operation I'm I'm from Tennessee I grew up in Tennessee so um, when I came out to, to see your operation in the heart of Nevada a couple of years ago I, I made the mistake of asking you how many acres you got out there and you <laughs> kind of laughed and said yeah we don't measure it in acres out here we measure it in square miles so talk about just the vastness and how the space just the sheer amount of open space there and the number of horses makes Nevada kind of, as as it came up in the hearing, ground zero for this problem. Sure, Ed. So, yeah, Nevada is, you know, we're the seventh largest state in the union, and, and you're right. We usually think of things in square miles, uh, not acreage. But with that said, one of the largest horse management areas, herd management areas in the United States is the Triple B in my backyard. And where you were standing, you, you were right on the edge of that. That is 1.2 million acres. That is larger than the state of Rhode Island. And today there are 1,500 horses in that. Um, That might not sound like a lot of horses in that big of an area, but believe me, it is. Uh, There's a lot of pinion juniper forest there. There's a lot of high mountain peaks. Nevada has 47,500 horses on BLM land right now. That does not count the Forest Service horses that are there. That does not account tribal horses. And that does not account for feral and astray horses that are under state management. Again, 47,500. So we have almost double what should be on all the Western rangelands. We're a unique beast. It's large areas. A lot of the proposals that have been put forward on how to manage these horses with fertility control, flat won't work in Nevada. We can't gather these horses one time, let alone one time every two to three years. And that was something I was trying to get across. I know the Senator understands that. She's been to our operation as well. She knows the vastness of it, but unfortunately we're trying to some of these groups we're working with are trying to boil it down to where we want to use one product, a product that we are comfortable with, and it is ineffective uh, throughout most of the West. Not only in Nevada, but Wyoming is going to have a lot of these same problems with some of their landscapes as well. Right. And now, I mean, uh, there was discussion about, well, how do we fix this problem? And, you know, it's very easy to illustrate the problem. You have other groups on the outside um, that aren't at the table who have decided to just sort of throw stones perpetually without offering up a real solution for this. Um, Ethan, you've worked very hard on this proposal with stakeholders from across the spectrum on this. um, And uh, that was a point of discussion today. You submitted it into the record as part of your testimony or in addition to your testimony. Um, what does the proposal call for and how can it be implemented? Is it something that, that BLM could do now um, if they have the funding? Would it take a separate act of Congress to implement this or is it just a matter of funding at this point? You know, I think functionally it's a matter of funding and some congressional direction, right? It's, it's, it's here is the additional funding that we think you need to genuinely gather 15 to 20,000 horses a year, administer robust fertility control, and that is beyond PZP, which is strikingly ineffective, and really moves into these new categories of drugs that last multiple years, require only one application, and then of course, robust use of permanent surgical sterilization, which was agreed to in the proposal by these groups. They're they're afraid of it, and, and they don't want you know, the crazies on their flank to to hear them talk about it. And yes, you know, it, it, the discussion we've had is about those tools being proven safe and effective. Uh, you know, in our community, they are safe and effective. They're used every day. Uh, Dr. Gokuchia testified to that fact in the hearing today. Um, and, and so, you know, I think what, what, what we're talking about here is making sure that Congress provides direction along with that money that you will go forward, BLM, gather in large quantities, administer PZP, 
Gonicon, Spavac, and permanent, permanent surgical sterilization where it's appropriate to every horse that you, that you gather and then take those excess horses and off-range them so that they do not continue to damage rangelands. And if we do that in aggressive enough fashion over a number of years, we might be able to curb the population without the use of more effective tools like slaughter, like unlimited sale, which we would continue to argue and did today, are your most expedient route to get this population down. Yeah, and you talked a little bit about the, the proposal and, and how it is just generally the nature of compromise, how, you know, we have stakeholders on our side who think, you know, it doesn't go far enough. Um, some of the animal groups, uh, the, you know, ASPCA, who was uh, represented there on the panel today, thinks, you know, some of their people think it goes too far, obviously, and there were people in the room that were tweeting out that it goes too far um, and kind of implying that the ASPCA doesn't care about animals or something. I don't know exactly how they sell that, but... Um, the for the most part the hearing was 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 you know there was a diverse group of people who testified and you know from blm to aspca to ncba plc um stakeholders across the board and everybody kind of agreed on you know the problem and you know okay we can come up with a solution this is workable um took a little bit of a strange turn at the end um can you talk a little bit about that yeah, it did take a strange turn at the end. Um, it, you know, at, at a certain point, um, I, uh, our, our you know partner in this proposal from ASPCA, Nancy Perry, uh, who we worked well with, you know, over the last uh, however however many months, um, was given sort of broad latitude um, without time to respond from anybody else on the panel, including the veterinarian that was sitting right next to her, um, or myself, or anybody else. Uh, and and she went into kind of bizarro land territory about about uh, you know unborn foals. And, and, you know, per perceived risk in permanent sterilization, um, you know, unfortunately, what she what she got out there on the record was just flat out factually inaccurate. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately, Dr. Gokachia didn't have a chance to respond to that. I mean, I, I, I guess I would defer to him to kind of characterize what that conversation really entailed. Yeah, it was a little frustrating right there at the end. And I guess part of the, the frustration was Ethan and I had both been on a phone call uh, last week where this topic came up with several people that were going to be uh, witnesses or testifying at this hearing today. And I corrected them at that point, that what she put on the record today, she brought up last week, that is factually inaccurate, that is not what happens, and we will ensure that it doesn't happen. Uh, for example, when you spay a mare, it, it was, the committee was led to believe that it could lead to abortion today and that these mares would be pregnant when they were spayed. The American Association of Equine Practitioners and the American Association of Veterinary Medical Association, excuse me, uh, has said that no, they do not condone that and you cannot spay pregnant mares. That, that is not something that we do. I told her that last week and yet she managed to get it on the record at the very end today. And, and I feel it kind of put a cloud over a lot of what I said as a veterinary professional. I am disappointed that that is how the hearing ended, but I do plan on, on attempting to correct that record and make sure that the truth is out there on, on what we are talking about. And I would never condone the use of unsafe or impractical methods or vaccines or anything else in these wild horses. All right. Well, hopefully uh, something good will come from this hearing. We've talked about on a number of other issues um, how uh, there's often not a lot of bipartisan or, or sort of cross ideological agreement on a lot of issues. I think everybody involved in this agrees that there is a problem, that there is a role for the federal government to play uh, to, to help solve this problem. And uh, hopefully 
you know, we can get something moving on Capitol Hill or at least, you know, some movement with BLM to get this taken care of. Oh, I, I think I think there was a lot of a lot of illustration of that agreement today. And I think there's a lot of illustration of, of the opportunity that's available if groups involved continue to be honest brokers in this conversation. And if we can continue to respect kind of the facts, um, there's always going to be, a, a, you know, an impulse to play to the base. And, and, you know, especially some of these groups that are feeling the heat from, from, their, from their flank. Um, you know, the only way you continue to maintain that trust is to continue to stick to the facts and, and you know, highlight those areas where we disagree. It's okay to have those disagreements. Uh, clearly, we see the world very differently in some areas than, than some of these groups do. Um, so, yeah, we're, we, we hope we can continue to push forward on this and that we still have, uh, you know, uh, uh, partners that are going to be able to stay engaged and, and see this thing across the finish line. Because without it, there, there's just really no other option available. You are going to see massive increases in population. You are going to see mass die-offs. You're going to see a point where Congress and the agencies are, ha- are going to have no choice otherwise but to use these more effective methods to get this population down. So, uh, you know, this in, in many respects is, is a, a last chance uh, to, to try to get something done. And, and we hope we can see it through uh, and, 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 and see some success there. So we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, Ethan, JJ, thanks for joining us. JJ, safe travels uh, back home to Nevada. Thank you, Ed. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at policy.ncba.org and follow us on Twitter at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.